just to warm us up, um, as if we needed it. Andy um, shared a couple of little jokes with you, with me, before uh, in, the, in our prayer time before the meeting. I feel I have to share them with you. Um, jokes that he felt the Lord had placed on his heart. <laughs> Valentine's Day jokes. So, so, fellas, if you haven't written that card yet, if I was rewriting the alphabet, I'd like to rewrite it so you and I could be next to each other. Is that right, Andy? Is he not here? No. Uh, and the other one was, um, I'd like to call you Google because you're everything I search for. I was just wondering if there was a more inappropriate um, search engine you could call yourself. Like, I'd like to call you Jeeves, or... Uh, yeah, no, don't, don't go there. It's probably yeah, all going to go wrong. We believe God's been speaking to us from Isaiah 61. And, um, and I want to come back today to look a bit more at this passage, in particular the first, the next chunk that we're going to look at. Last time I was talking about verse 1a, I suppose if you're going to call it that, that. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And remember what we were looking at there was how this anointing is the basis for what we can do. It comes from him. It's his sovereign choice. And we can receive that anointing because he has chosen us. So as we, as we continue to look at this chapter, we need to have that always in our minds. That this is not just a job description that we summon up our guttural strength to do. But that's the reason why God has given us his spirit. That's why he's given us the helper, the counselor the one alongside, so that we can fulfill this ministry, the ministry that Jesus had and that he passed on to us as his body today. So, in particular, we're going to look at today, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives and release from, from darkness for the prisoners. So, what does that phrase mean? It's interesting, in a, in a week of uh, a Valentine's Day, we've got a very particular idea of what having a broken heart might be like. Or if you spoke to someone at work, they might understand something of what it is to have a broken heart. But the phrase that's used in the Bible for broken is one that's been torn violently, it's been wrecked, it's been crushed, it's been ruptured, it's been crippled, it's been shattered into lots of different pieces. And this word heart doesn't just mean something, this muscle that's in the middle of my chest that will carry on doing its job until the day that Jesus calls me home. My heart is something much more than that. My heart 
as far as the Bible's concerned, is something about my whole being, my mind, my feelings, my emotions, my innermost person. And the thing is that lots of stuff can go on around us. But when something goes, into, goes on in here, in me, it's really much harder to deal with. So I can face disaster on the right and the left. I can face disaster you know, in others that I care for. But when it's happening in my heart, when my heart is broken, when my heart is maimed, it has a much more significant impact. My heart is what I'm inclined to do, what I long for. You know? That's where my heart is. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there is your heart. So where is my heart? And someone with a, with a broken heart is not just feeling bad, but they're actually unable to function. The function God has for our heart is to love. And he requires that we love each other as he loved us and loves us. And sometimes we meet people whose hearts are unable to love because of stuff that has happened. Proverbs 18:14 says, "The human heart can endure in sickness, but a crushed sorry, the human spirit can endure in, in sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear." There's sometimes stuff happens and it and it gets inside. But the promise is that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now the thing is, that promise is the same whatever has crushed your heart. It's not conditional. It's not that you were out, you know, doing the Lord's work and something has happened to, to, to crush your heart and therefore God will help you. You could have been giving yourself to something completely ridiculous. When you experience a crushed heart, Jesus is near you. The Lord is close to is close to those with a crushed spirit. And we, as Jesus' hands and feet, when someone is hurting, we don't need to condone their actions that have led to that point of being hurting. We just need to love them in that place of hurting. So there are lots of things uh, that can happen, that can break a heart. I've already used the phrase, stuff happens. Um, you know, it's true. And people can build their lives putting security in the wrong thing. We can put security, an unhealthy dependency, on another human. We can put an unhealthy dependency on a particular relationship. We can put an unhealthy dependency on success, on an academic achievement, on what others think of us. And when we lose those things, suddenly our compass is all messed up. Something that has been giving us a direction, we don't know where to turn. You can lose someone close, 
Now that sometimes because they choose not to be with you. But sometimes it's because we're bereaved. Sometimes the person that we've loved is no longer there. There's a hole that is never going to be filled by somebody else. God has allowed a significant person in that person's life. They're no longer there. And they need, well, not another human, but they need to find the one who's close to the brokenhearted. God wants us to turn to, to him at this time. Sometimes we're bereaved not with a person, but with a dream, something we've wanted to see happen for a long time. And, uh, and the dream, well, it just doesn't come to be. And we can see it's not going to come to be. And these things can break your heart. I think probably not very often uh, for us, for amongst us, but sometimes we simply don't have enough. It's possible to be poor, materially poor, and not have enough for those that we care for. God sometimes allows our hearts to be broken because we've been looking for comfort in the wrong places. Whether we realize it or not, the people around us look for comfort. They look for strength. These people want and need to have the strength of God working in their lives. But we can look for strength and comfort. They can look for strength and comfort in other things. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's in internet porn. Maybe it's in, I don't know, alcohol. Maybe it's in drugs. People look for that strength, something which they can control, which gives them a sense of power and achievement. We can have habits or mindsets that we know are displeasing to God and put up with them. When we were away on the leaders' weekend, someone talked about this, having... A sort of having, knowing that there were things that they hadn't dealt with, but God had said it was okay, and they kind of put those things in a box, and they could work on the other things. But the thing is, there is a time when God opens that box and says, actually, now it's time to, to deal with that thing. And once he's opened the box, our hearts get broken because we realize how much we've been hurting him. Our perspective is sometimes very different to, uh, to his on that. Um, Sheila, you're not allowed to answer. I don't know if this will mean anything to anyone. What, what's this? What is it, Richard? It's a dot. What is it? Yeah? Dot? Dot? What is it? It's a, it's a handkerchief with a dot on it. How many of us see the dot? but we don't see the thing that's around it. Now, you know, when God looks at us, or when we look at ourselves, sometimes we can see the dot, but we, we can't see everything else. Jesus sees the likeness of his son when he looks at you. He sees that you've been made in his image, and he takes delight in that. And this blemish, this thing that doesn't belong on the design that God had for you, it, it almost doesn't register. 
As far as the east, well, it doesn't register. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed our sins from us. Though our sins be like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. When we look at ourselves, we see this dot. And we're just totally worked up by this dot, which is in the way. And God wants us to deal with the dot, sure. But hey, we're made in the image of God. And sometimes people around us don't realize they've been made in the image of God. All they can see and feel bad about are these damn dots. I heard on, sometimes you read things and, and just registers, and I think, gosh, that's something which is, we live in a, in a world where there are so many powers at work in, against righteousness, against right living, against right attitude. There's a news story, funnily enough, and it was about internet porn, and it was talking about a study that had been done on porn use in the United States, obviously, because we're British. And, um, and they looked at what happened after a, some big match to the pattern of use in, uh, in people's internet, because they know it all, as we know from the news and Mr. Snowden and everything else. And they looked at what had happened. And what had happened was the supporters of the winning side their, their internet use for those particular sites had gone down by about 80% for the next few days. For the losing side, it had gone up by about the same proportion. Now, I know this is only sport, so I mean, who gets worked up about sport, for goodness sake? The reality is that whilst the enemy would want us to see that we're in control of these things, and that actually... Um, you know, it's, it's just a relief. You know, I, I open the, the, the fridge door and I, and I eat my ice cream and I feel so much better. The reality is, when I'm doing that thing to comfort my flesh, I'm at my worst. I'm at my lowest. And I don't really feel better afterwards. But when I'm brokenhearted, when I've made, reached the end of myself, the promise is, that God is close to the brokenhearted. He's not far off. All the time we're putting up with that kind of behavior, there's a distance that's building up between us and God. And God opens up the box, and suddenly we realize the distance that has grown. So that can break your heart. It can break other people's hearts too. Sometimes it's not just a general thing, it's a particular thing. Like David and Bathsheba, where there's some big, momentous, wrong decision that you've made, and actually, you know clearly that this thing is wrong. I once knew a man who had been a wonderful preacher and teacher for many years, It's not known to to you, so don't go guessing. Um, But I've been a wonderful preacher and teacher for many years. And I had received from him and uh, felt a real anointing of God on his life. But he'd lived for 15 years in an affair with another leader in the church. 
And he had kept it secret. He had not uncovered it. And suddenly, God opened it up. And suddenly his heart was broken. How do we deal when stuff happens like that? How do we deal with it? Well, the expectation is that God allows for a space for repentance. I'm only mentioning that not to glory in the sin, but just to say that the reality is that it's not just stuff that happens out there. It happens in places not totally dissimilar to this one. So we need to be humble about that, and we need to walk open lives with one another. We need to be accountable to one another about our patterns of work, our patterns of thinking, and, and walk together closely. Because otherwise, we can't check our hearts. If people only know the words that come out of my mouth, I can keep those under control. You need to know my heart if you're going to know whether I'm walking securely or walking safely. And that's one of the reasons why we so believe in the significance of meeting together not like this, but meeting together in smaller groups, in development groups or house groups. These are significant times. You know, and, and when we've been praying for Zoe this morning, you know, over months she's been walking through. Zoe, you've been walking through this process with people that care for you in your group. And that's been a really important part of that whole thing. So we can also, lastly, you know, we can be like the seed that grows well at first, but shrivels up as it's got no roots. Um, now, we might just get used to it, but allow, God can actually allow us to find him when our heart starts to mourn for what was lost. So there's a, there's a mourning that takes place sometimes. It's not like it used to be. Well, sometimes we don't know what it was like, but sometimes God's actually calling us back to be restored. And there are those that we meet at work that are to be restored. Maybe that person I mean, that you prayed for in the park, maybe that's someone that God is calling back. Maybe, maybe that's something which is on God's heart for them. And, and, you know, that word that you've given her and the hope that you've given, you know, that can be a significant part of God's calling the return. So if we've got all these th- reasons for having a broken heart, um, we can expect to find quite a few around us. And I think reality is many of us are here because at one point in our lives, or maybe more than one point in our lives, God's allowed our hearts to be broken. But we know that there are reasons why we don't always uh, accept uh, the healing that God has for us because we believe in the lies, uh, the no-one-cares pills, pills for chronic complainers, from uh, Dr. Hugh Cares, yes. Anyway, um, no one cares. Now, I would say, because my children are in the room, they may have heard me occasionally once. (laughs) Yeah, it's confession time. I may have at some point used the phrase nobody cares to someone who's very close to me. Closely associated with the word shut up and go away. (laughs) However, that was not the word of the Lord. And I repent publicly. I retract that lie. Um, No, seriously. But people believe, you know, nobody's really there for me. 
And again, this is spoken for us to take to the kingdom at large, the world around us, but it's also spoken to us in here. We can believe that nobody cares. You can be amongst friends and believe that nobody cares. That somehow I'm just too far gone. God could help me if I brought this up a few months ago, but now it's got to this stage... I mean, I wonder with that leader that I mentioned how many times he came to the point of confession and thought, oh no, it's just it's too, too big. I can't, I can't deal with this. I'm just going to carry on, keep it buried. Going through with being restored is just too tough. And anyway, I, I made this mess myself. No one will be interested. I mean, if I talk about why my heart's breaking, well, I, I just brought it on myself, haven't I? It's just, I shouldn't have done it. Oh, and by the way, God's given up. The reality is that when people get to the end of themselves, when we get to the end of ourselves, that's a really good place to be. Because that's when we have to reach out to him. And the thing is, that that God who is reaching out to you, and to the people that you're reaching out to, has reached out to countless people before you. He's reached out to me. And so we're standing in a position of faith. The Holy Spirit doesn't get irritated or frustrated when he's comforting you. He doesn't kind of get fed up halfway through a counselling session and leave the room. Sometimes we might try to help someone and, uh, and we're in the middle of giving our very, very good and pithy advice and they kind of come up with some reason why what you've just said is a load of rubbish. Now at that point, we could throw everything at them or maybe not bother throwing everything and just, just leave. We must not give up until God has. And um, I'll give you a clue on that one. God's promised to never leave or forsake us. So I don't reckon we ever really have a license to walk away. So the truth is that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many of us are here today because we found God in brokenness. Um, when God called me and saved me, I've been uh, in a church since I was so high, sent to church, Sunday school, um, but didn't really know God. Didn't know God. I knew all about this gospel, not this gospel but the gospel which I was taught, which was that Jesus had died to make a way for me to get to this place I knew as heaven uh, when I died, and that was great news because I didn't want to die. And so, so that was good. And I knew I had everlasting life. But right now and here, didn't seem to be a great deal of help, didn't seem to be a great deal of expectation of this all-powerful God touching my life. I've been really successful at school, not blowing my own trumpet, but I had. Um, and lots of things have gone well. And so I put a lot of security in my success. Things like I was, I was head boy. I, got, I was, I was. And I got an offer from Cambridge, and I got into Cambridge. 
and uh, I did a natural sciences degree. But during my natural sciences degree, God met with me big time because I went from being the top of my class to being really quite literally within 20 of the bottom. And uh, I just couldn't cope with it. In my first term at Cambridge, because you, really, you don't really see things like that. You see things like, well, it's all going to be great. And then you get there, and then like everyone was just so flipping clever. <laughs> and you talk about your grades, and you say, yeah, well, I got this, this, and this. And they say, oh, well, I got four A's. I got five A's. I got six A's. They didn't do A stars, in case you're wondering, those of you who have done exams more recently. A stars are just what they invented when the A got too easy. And in my first term, away from home, um, my, my girlfriend, who I'd been going out with for a couple of years, uh, decided she didn't want any more to do with me, which is good for me uh, now. Uh, and <laughs> it wasn't Christina. At the time, though, when I was 18, rubbish city. It was very, very bad, as far as I was concerned. Um, my grandmother died, and uh, although that sounds a bit it was a distant relation, I said, you know, not distant, but you know, I'd looked after her because she'd had Alzheimer's. And um, when I was 14 and 15, or 15, she came to live with us, and for most of my exam years, I was looking after her when my mum couldn't. And so I was really close to her. And um, so all of that stuff happened. But you know what? God was close to me at that time. And I didn't know him. But God put around me people that did. He showed up big time in Friends. And um, he, showed, he turned up in Friends, in Christina. But before Christina... There was someone called, you're wondering what I'm going to say now. <laughs> now it's going to go all wrong. <laughs> you're all going to laugh at me. God gave me friends in the CU, I was going to say. And because uh, it's all going to go right, they're all going to giggle. I'm going to say Martin, and you're going to go, oh, we didn't know about that. But a friend of mine, Martin, who's still a friend of mine, who, who just stuck with me and just put up with the fact that I was always depressed, always down, everything was going wrong. But he just was a mate. And he said, well, I don't know where you want to go to church, where I'm going to go to church. Can I just go to church with you? And um, I said, oh, yeah, all right, then let's go and find somewhere to go to church. And we went to church together. Now, hey, this is not setting the world on fire, this is not difficult, but actually it did set this bit of the world on fire because actually over time, that was what I needed at that time. And together we would race down to the church because we would have just got out of bed at about two minutes to 11 when the meeting was starting at 11. And we'd screech to a halt outside on our bikes. We'd lock up our bikes outside and we'd probably come in after the first song had finished or whatever and we'd be terrible at all those things. But, you know, his relationship with me kept me looking to God. And um, 
in all the pain and the pressure, God showed up. And we should expect that for others too. When God's put others around us, then who, need, who are brokenhearted, we need to understand that actually God's put you as a significant person in that person's life to really make a difference. And it can be a little, the littlest thing. You don't even need to be a long way ahead of them. It's not something you do to them. It's something that happens with them. You walk this path, and in being restored, in them being restored, you'd be amazed what it does for you. Martin and I both had a sense that God was calling us to work for the church. And um, I do that like this. He does that as a vicar. Our paths are not the same. But I know that God helped me in him. And, um, and so I, I just give thanks for that. And I thank God that in the fact that at that time, I was unaware of the Holy Spirit to help. He gave me Martin. And as we walked together, God also introduced me to the Holy Spirit through the most unlikely routes. But if you know the Holy Spirit alongside you, and in you, he changes everything. So there's hope. Psalm 147, verses 3 and 4 says, He heals the broken in heart, and he binds up their wounds. He counts the numbers of the stars. He calls them each by name. How, how wonderful that God knows all of the stars in the sky. That picture is, is Andromeda which is our nearest galaxy, which is two million light years away, which means that when we're looking at that, we're seeing it not now, but two million years ago. And that inside that galaxy, there are as many stars as there are in our sky. It takes light 100,000 years to get from one side of the galaxy to the other. And I've shown you pictures before of just how many of those things there are. And he knows them each by name. But he's close to those that are crushed in spirit. And he heals those that are broken in heart. So this binding thing, it's about, it's about being tied. It's a, uh, the word is to be tied, bound, bind up, saddle, restrain, bandage, govern. All of those words come from the word chabash, which is what it talks about when Jesus, sorry, when the psalmist and when Isaiah writes about our job to bind up the brokenhearted. There's a governance that comes from the Holy Spirit that actually a leadership that comes into our spirit. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us. And as the sovereign Lord comes, he becomes Lord. And that thing which has been such a pain to us, suddenly it, it becomes sorted as he comes and he leads us. And um, so it's something that he does. But actually, he involves us in the process. So um, I just want to look at a quick story. Well, it's, it's a relatively quick story um, of, uh, of how Jesus... See, it's always good if you can say, well, okay, so how did Jesus do this sort of thing? And I was thinking about who, who did... Um, where did Jesus meet a broken heart in Scripture? Where could I say... 
that's thinking of those things that govern a broken heart. And there's probably quite a lot of them, actually. <laughs> Whether thinking about the Samaritan woman whose heart had been broken by, by men in her life, or whether we're talking about Nicodemus, whose heart was broken because of his, his traditional walk um, and needing to know something new. But I, I, I just went straight away to the story of Lazarus at Bethany. It just, just made me think of it. Uh, and um, Jesus' perspective throughout this story is different to how I think ours would be. Now, so I'm just, I just going to read this to you, and, um, and uh, we'll, we'll move on every, every now and then. So on arrival in Bethany, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. You remember that the story was that... Um, Mary and Martha send a message to Jesus, say, come and help us, because Lazarus is not well. And uh, Lazarus, our brother, is not well. Come and help us. And he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he doesn't say it like that. He says, I'll come along, yes. But he doesn't go straight away. But he says to the messenger, he says, it's all right, the sickness won't end in death. No, it's for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. But then he hears the news that, in fact, Lazarus has died. So you could imagine that's not really going to go down terribly well. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many other Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. She's even more fed up than Martha. doesn't say that in here. I'm just interpolating. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. We're often faced with situations that seem to be beyond redemption. The world would say, that thing's finished. It's gone beyond that point of no return. But to fulfill Christ's ministry, we need to know that there are no points of no return in him. That's a double negative, isn't it? That everything is a point of return in him. Even the bones can live. All things bring glory to the Son. The more hopeless and broken, the greater the power of resurrection. So when Martha meets Jesus, Lazarus had been in the grave for, for four, year, four days. When you lose someone close, the process takes time to work through. But just after it happens, it's the worst. I remember on the day that my dad died... Um, I had a lot of phone calls from people offering condolences, being kind, and so on. And I would pick up the phone, and I would just go, yeah, thanks. And that was if I was being articulate. Mostly, I'd just not be able to hold it together at all. 
if you're Jewish and somebody dies, for seven days you stay in the house. You don't go anywhere. Something called, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, sitting Shiva. Um, when my, uh, someone, I, someone I know ha had to do that, we had to go and visit them in the house. There's no washing, there's no mirrors, no vanity. It's basically a serious thing that you're going to focus on completely. I think there's an honest tension in Martha here between this accusation, really. If you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. And her, her trust in God. And sometimes we'll meet people who've got that tension at work in them. I think, frankly, most of us have that tension in work, <laughs> at work in us when things have died or things have not gone the way we wanted them to go. Jesus knows it's going to be tough to see Martha, but he does it. And um, we, we, need to, we need to be prepared to meet people who will say things, sometimes in an accusatory way, angry with us or angry with God. But we need to deal with the issue, not defend ourselves. And, um, and so he, is it's like this when he meets Martha, what's it going to be like when he meets Mary? So, but he says, she went back and she called her, Mary, her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here and he's asking for you. So he, he asked for Mary. Now Mary heard this. She got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had been with Mary in the when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Just to emphasize the point, Mary says exactly the same thing. So what's he going to say to her? Put yourself in this position. What am I going to say? What am I going to say? How am I going to comfort her? I'll come up with something fantastic. He just asks where she is, where he is. And he weeps with her. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her, weeping also. He was deeply moved and troubled in spirit. Where have you laid him? He says. Come and see, they said. And Jesus wept. Jesus doesn't have the words for Mary. Weeping is all he has. But he doesn't flinch from meeting her. That's how it must be for us. Sometimes we meet someone, we actually don't know what to say. And... We know the conclusion of this is that Lazarus is called from the tomb. And I do believe that there's a, a power in us. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. And there may be things that we can call back to life in others' lives. But we do that under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The reality is, though, in these two little snapshots are that we see a Jesus who is prepared to meet the accusation and not flinch from it. And we see a Jesus who's prepared to just weep when that's what it takes.
So when we're meeting the brokenhearted, I think we need to be ready to be hurt. Loving them is more important than protecting myself. We need to be open to what God is saying. And there are times when actually we need to say nothing at all. God is going to bring healing to that person because that's the role that he has for us. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted and to speak freedom for captives and for release from prisoners who are in darkness. See, one of the, just to, just to, kind of moving just towards the end, just two last examples, really. The brokenhearted can be brokenhearted because they're captive to something. And the person who is a captive is someone who has believed lies about themselves or about the situation. So if we go back to that list of reasons why people have to not have their broken heart healed, that I've gone too far, that it's all my own fault, that God doesn't care, nobody cares, all of those things, those are things that can hold you captive where you are. But Jesus says the truth will set you free. The truth. The truth is the way God sees the thing. The truth is that you're made in the image of God. Not that you're a big spot. You know, people say things and they can stick. But as someone led by the Holy Spirit, I have the choice to receive or to reject what people say about me. I actually have that choice. I have a mind uh, which is governed by him. And so sometimes there are times when you have to say, I, um, I reject that. You may not say it out loud. You may do. That's not the way I am. Sometimes people have heard things that have bound them up for many years. And we need God's truth to break through. The truth is Jesus. He will set them free. The spirit of truth. And finally, I just the release from pris- for prisoners. Sometimes we meet people that are in a, a kind of a prison. And a prison is a place you go to when you've got something wrong. And I think that sometimes God allows people to be imprisoned by things so they realize that they, his, it's like his way of opening the box, that they, can, they have the strength to then deal with that attitude that needs to change. There's a, there's a release that comes when people bring their brokenness to God. God leaves us in prison to come to him and find his grace. You know, the, it's a very old thing that some of you may have heard of, but um, there's a painting by somebody, and somebody can tell me who it is, of the fella, it's supposed to be Jesus holding a lamp. The light of the world is what it's called. And he's standing with a door behind him, 
really, really old. We're talking dark ages, probably when, you know, when I wore shorts and things like that. Um, no, it is, it's over 100 years old. Pardon? Right? The key thing is that the fellow is standing there, who's supposed to be Jesus, and he's standing with a door behind him that he wants to go into, but there's no door handle. And the bizarre thing with this prison that you're in is the door handle's on your side. But people choose to stay in that place because it's what they're secure in. Going back to that thing I was saying about having habits and things that are hard to break, whether it's eating related or whether it's something else, some other attitude of the flesh. You know, we can stay in that prison because that's where we're comfortable or we understand but actually, God wants us to be able to walk free of that. And I believe that God gives, has given us an anointing to set captives free, to release prisoners from the darkness. The NIV talks about the release from darkness for the prisoners. If you look at something like the King James and other translations, they talk about prisoners being bound up with things. There is a way that these things stick to you, and they're hard to break free of. but they're never stronger than his love. And the lie of the enemy is, well, if you come to me sooner, we might have dealt with this. If you'd spoken about this mistake 10 years ago, then, you know, we could have done something. But now you're just going to have to live in that place that you've made for yourself. You made your bed, got a lie in it, you know, that's how you are. Jesus says, I'm making all things new. Always new. Every day. Every day. Every day. He makes me new. What I was is not what I am. I've been made new. That song we were singing, the one about forever I am changed by your love. I always get to that line and I think about the fact that that's, that's interesting because it's got two things, two truths in it. His love has changed me forever. But I'm forever being changed by his love. And that's true for each of us. And can be true for those we reach out to. So, let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you have set this on our hearts today. We thank you, Lord, that you are stirring us up with this prophetic word from Isaiah. That, Lord, there are so many reasons to have broken hearts, and yet, in that brokenness, we can find, we can find you, and that you are close. And you are close to the brokenhearted, whether they know you or not. They, you are close, that is the word, that you are close to the brokenhearted. So, Father, we think of those who need to know you, and we call out to you for them. We call out to, to you for those amongst us whose hearts are breaking. We call out to you for those whose lives we touch. And we say, Lord, have your way. Lord, prove your word true that we might hear testimony to how you have bound up the brokenhearted amongst us. Thank you, Lord, for never letting us go. Thank you, Lord, for 
the way you met with me all those years ago. But Father, thank you that there are many of us who can give testimony to the same faithfulness, the same, same love that you have shown us. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord. God, um, got a song that I was thinking of this morning. It's always good to throw songs at the last minute to worship leaders because they, they kind of really enjoy the challenge, don't they, bitch? But I think you'll know it. This is our response, I believe. I will offer my life in spirit and truth, pouring out the oil of love as my worship to you. In surrender, I must give my every part. Lord, receive this sacrifice of a broken heart. Jesus, what can I give? What can I bring to so faithful a friend, to so loving a king? Savior, what can be said, what can be sung as a praise of your name for the things you've done? Oh, my words could not tell, not even in part, of the debt of love that's owed by this thankful heart. Let's sing. <clears throat>